Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you on a rainy day. Sometimes the rain keeps our folks away, so I'm glad it didn't keep you away. All right, well, yes, 21 years ago. I don't think, Brother Legault, maybe you and I have, probably have the same memory problems, but I don't think that I've been back since then. I don't think that um, from the first time that, that we visited again. I know we haven't visited. If we did, it would have been in 2005. That would have been the last time, but I don't think so. So at any rate, it's good to see you, many of you for the first time, most of you probably for the first time, and uh, we want to say thank you and probably be appropriate to say thank you in the morning service as well, but thank you for your prayers and for your support, for your care for us as a family, and then thank you for letting us stay. I keep pointing the wrong direction. Stay over in the house for the last few days. We're a bit of vagabonds at the moment uh, without a home, so it's good to have a place to settle down for a few days. Well, I've been asked to, to give my testimony because uh, you don't know me very well at all, and so I'll share some testimony, and then we'll have some time in the Word of God, I think, this morning. And then, Brother Caleb, what time he's gone? What time do I need? 20 after. Okay. All right. Well, um, I was born and raised in Cody, Wyoming. And so um, I lived there right up till I went to university. Uh, I was raised in a, somewhat of a nominal Christian home. Uh, we did go to church, and we actually went to church fairly regularly. In my younger years, we were uh, a part of a Christian and Missionary Alliance church for till I was about six or seven years old. And uh, those churches back in those days were good churches, and uh, they, they really emphasized missions a lot. They preached the gospel very soundly. And uh, so that was my introduction to church, to the gospel. Uh, we had a pastor that came in, and he took a hard left toward being charismatic and Pentecostal. So my parents left, and we ended up in an independent Baptist church in the same town. The, this, the church that we ended up at was also a, a, just a, a wonderful church in that little town of Cody. Uh, had a tremendous effect, sent out many preachers and evangelists and missionaries over the years. The gospel was always clearly preached. Now, around the age of seven or eight, and you know, some people get bent out of shape because I can't tell you the date, but I'm like Paul, I can tell you the event. And uh, around the age of seven or eight, uh, we were in a, in a service for just young people, and I remember very clearly the message was on hell, and it absolutely terrified me. And to whatever degree a seven or eight-year-old can understand their lost condition, and their deserving of hell, I understood it. And uh, it, again, it terrified me. They gave an invitation first by raise of hands, and, and uh, so I raised my hand and said, you know, I knew that I needed to be saved. And it's wonderful that the Lord knows the heart of a young person like that, you know, because today I would understand so much more about the need, but I understood what I understood at that time as a child. Uh, they, after we raised our hands, of course, they said, you, you need to come forward and let somebody deal with you. Well, I was too afraid, too timid to go forward, and I didn't go forward. And so I stayed lost. And for three days, I was terrified that I was going to die and go to hell. 
Now, as an adult, it's a lot easier to laugh about it, but as a kid, it meant a lot. There was a thunderstorm on the third night. And, uh, you know, as a child, I thought, this is it. This is the judgment of God coming <laughs> to, uh, to take me to hell. Uh, but it's, a, again, just think about how the Lord uses some of those simple things in the life or the mind and the heart of a child. And uh, I, at that time, then laying in bed, I just said, man, I'm going to die. And if I don't get saved, I'm going to hell. And, and I remember saying, Lord, you said that if we would trust Jesus Christ and call on him, he'd save us. And I'm calling, I'm asking. And he saved me. And that was it. I went to sleep. And I mean, that's just the way it was. I went to sleep and that was the end of the matter for me. I didn't think to go tell my parents. I didn't think to do anything with it. It just, I trusted him and that was it. A little while later, uh, my older brother had been saved and he uh, said he wanted to get baptized. And so I said, yeah, I'd like to get baptized too. And I remember my mother saying, you can't get baptized, you're not saved. I said, I am too. She said, no, you're not. I said, I am too. And so she took me into the pastor of the church, and, and he's, uh, he was a hard man. And so he marched me into his office, you know, I guess whether they thought they were going to fix me up or whatever. And he marched me into the office and sat me down, just he and I. Now, you can imagine being just a young child now, and you're across the table here from your, this very hard preacher, and he's grilling me. And when it was all said and done, he walked out with me and he said, well, if that little boy's not saved, neither am I. And so that was that. And I got baptized. Now, uh, like too many, so many, too many young people raised in a nominal home, and it's not their fault. I had to make my own choices. But it didn't help. And like too many young people, and I, I understand you want me to give the whole testimony to call to ministry and everything. Okay, I'm not going too far here. Um, I did not live for Christ. Now there was, if you asked the people that I grew up with, in fact recently one of them said, oh man, you were like a gem, you were an anchor, everybody knew that you were solid, but I wasn't. I knew enough Bible to know better than doing what I was doing. And uh, I didn't live for the Lord. Now, I still cared about souls. I was just telling my kids on the trip here about an occasion where somebody said something about the Bible and Noah's flood, and, and I was in my sixth grade, and, and I said, you can't say that. You don't know what you're talking about. And I brought my Bible to school and opened the Bible, and I said, there, see, God said it, and that was it. And that was my faith in the Word of God. It's right there. That settles the matter. There's no argument in it, you know. And that's the way I was. But, you know, as my, my junior high and my high school years progressed, I just drifted further and further from the Lord. Now, I still saw people saved. There was my best friend made a profession of faith uh, during that time, which I look back now, and it's an absolute marvel to me, and it's an evidence of the grace of God because there was no reason for him to look at my life and, and say, well, that's, you know, that's what I want to be. So those are my high school years, a disaster as far as I'm concerned. I wasn't a drinker, I wasn't a drug user, but I, but I hung around them, and I ruined my testimony. And I got into my university years, and uh, that's, when, that's when I then became what I never should have been. And two years in, 
I finished my second year at a junior college, and then I went off to the University of Wyoming. And uh, the University of Wyoming had a reputation for being a real party school, and I'm a long way away from family, and, you know, just every opportunity in the world to just take off. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And for that's the only reason I can give you today why the weekend that I arrived at the University of Wyoming, I looked up a good Bible-believing church. It's the only reason I can give you. It, because it wasn't in me. I was running and rebelling. And I found uh, the first phone call I made was again, a Baptist church, and I said, are you a King James church? I'd been taught that much. And they said, no, there's only one church like that in town. Gave me the number. I called it. He says, yes, we're King James. I said, I'll see you Sunday morning. Tomorrow morning is what it was. So we went. And it was a church of about 30, maybe 35 at the most people. And the Lord just knitted my heart with them immediately, and they loved me and cared for me. And again, he was a very hard preacher, very direct, no nonsense. Um, I wouldn't want him to hear this, and I don't think he will, but I learned a lot about what not to do as a pastor. Very hard, but I needed that. And the Lord began to just break me down and break me down and break me down. At the end of that year, that was my junior year, um, I, we had a revival meeting. I got down on my knees in the pew, and I said, Lord, whatever it takes for you to work in my life to get me to serve you, that's what I want you to do. That's a dumb thing to pray. It really is. I wouldn't recommend that, but it was from my heart because I wanted to serve the Lord. And uh, I had been given, as we say, assurance of salvation during that time, really been wrestling with my salvation. And so I got that assurance, I got that nailed down, and I really wanted to serve the Lord. So when I prayed that, I meant it. Well, one month later, I'm right back doing the same nonsense that I'd been doing. It was crazy. And it's amazing to me how quickly the human heart can drift. And, you know, just one month, there I am. I remember driving past the church, I was headed to the rodeo grounds in Cody, and, and uh, there's a rodeo every night during June, July, August in Cody. I was headed to the rodeo grounds on the right-hand side, but on the left-hand side, I had to drive past our church. And as much as you can have an audible voice from the Holy Spirit, it was, son, you need to stop and go to church. It was a Wednesday night. And I went, no, I'm going to go riding. So I did. And, you know, the Lord is he's just good to us. He's good because he's long-suffering, and sometimes he lets us have the fruit of our decisions as part of his kindness to us. And uh, within about a week, my family made a, a trip. They were going to go to a, a four-wheeling, I, I always forget the, the American term and the Australian term, the ATV four-wheelers. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And um, so they went out on a four-wheeling trip, an ATV trip, and I didn't go. This, I, I believe it was the following weekend. I didn't go. And so off, off they take off into a place called the McCullough Peaks there in Cody, very rugged. About 1 o'clock in the afternoon, 
the phone rings and I, and I answered and it was my mother. She says, Kev, dad's had an accident. He's hurt real bad and we need some help. So long story there, they had, my two brothers had been with him. One of them had run to get my mother. She had driven to a nearby house and called me. So we got a search and rescue team and they allowed me to go out with him or with, with them. And we got out to the place where he was and you could see way down in the gully where the accident had taken place. And by this time, they knew it was serious enough that they brought a life flight in. And so we're standing there really with just that, you know, that feeling in your gut, uh, something you don't know what to anticipate. Well, over the radio with the uh, search and rescue man that I was standing with came the, came the call, DOA, dead on arrival. And man, just everything stopped. And I remember the Lord saying to me, you remember you asked me to do whatever it took. Is this enough? And I said, man, Lord, this was out loud now. I said, Lord, that's enough. That's enough. The guy standing next to me says, what are you talking about? It's just between me and the Lord. Well, that's enough. And honestly, if I said, you know, my, my call to preach, I believe that God had been calling for a long time. But if I was going to nail it down on a day, I would nail it to that day. And, you know, that day is, it's just as special to me as the day I got saved. I didn't have a lot of life in the past that I had to sort through and get over all that nonsense, even though my, my teen years and my early adulthood was a mess. I didn't have all that. But when, when I surrendered myself, an absolute surrender, as some of the old writers called it, when I had that, it was such a significant turnaround in my life. And I'm so grateful for the goodness of God. And the death of my dad is just is evidence of his goodness. And it's one of the most blessed days of my life because it captivated me finally instead of fooling around with the things of the Lord. I did not surrender to the ministry right at that point. Uh, one of the reasons was I had enough brains to know that people would think that I was just making an emotional decision, you know, because of that. But I waited until I went back to school that year, and, and uh, we had another revival meeting. And I remember driving to church thinking, well, tonight I'm going to announce that I'm called to preach. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even have to hear the preaching. I just knew. And I did. He preached on heaven, and I surrendered to the ministry. And when I did that, again, one of the, the next best things that happened to me was the church saying to me, man, we knew you were called to preach. It's about time. We're glad you finally see it, you know which was wonderful because it paired up with Acts 13 so well, the church recognizing it by the work of God and then, you know, just my own time to, to come to that. So I finished my fourth year of school, of, of university. I graduated, uh, went off to a Bible school in North Carolina for a couple of years, and I told them when I got there, hey, I'm not, I'm not here to spend four years. That's not what this is about for me. This is about focus. This is about learning some Bible and then getting busy. So I did. After two years, I moved out to 
Uh, back to Cody for six months. I was a carpenter by trade, so I just worked for somebody doing carpentry work. And then I ended up in uh, a town called Custer, South Dakota. And I went there because there was a need for a church to be started. And uh, the first time I went, I said, no way. And then the Lord said, you better go back and think about this again. You know, well, I know now, <laughs> you know, don't push it. Um, I went back and the Lord said, you're coming here. You're going to start a church. So in 1997, in December, against everything that I was advised, it was don't go alone. Don't go in the winter. Don't go to a small town, you know, blah, blah, blah. Don't go to a place you don't know anybody, on and on. I went to a place I didn't know anybody to a small town in the middle of the winter by myself and the Lord started a church, and that was 1997. In 1998, was it 98, 99, sorry, 1999, I took a missions trip. Everybody said to me, if you're going to be a proper pastor, you need to visit the mission field, because otherwise it's going to be all theory, you need to get out there and see something. So I tried to go to Taiwan, and the door shut. And then very like two weeks later, the door to Australia opened up to go. And I said, beauty, I'm going to go. And I spent three weeks in Australia, and it was about a week in that the Lord said, this is your coming here next. And I said, well, Lord, this isn't going to work. I just started this church. We're still meeting in my lounge room. We don't even have a building yet. And, you know, the way the Lord does, don't you worry about that. That's not your responsibility. That's mine. So on the way home, I got Genesis 28:15. fear not, for I am with thee will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. The next day was our Sunday service in Custer. The first person to walk through the door said, It's good to see you, Pastor. You're never going to believe this. Somebody's given us a church building. Okay. <laughs> and uh, within 12 months, we had property, building, uh, we were a little over 12 months. It was property, building. Uh, there was a man coming to pastor the church. They were partially able to support him, started taking on missionaries, and I was released. And uh, that's when I came here. So that is my testimony for the call to ministry and so forth. And I hope that that helps you to know a little bit more about that. I met my wife on deputation uh, in 2001. We married later in 2001. Four months later, we landed in Australia with a child on the way. And uh, had she not been raised the way she was to be tough, I don't know for sure <laughs> that we'd have made it. Uh, so I'm glad that she's tough and resilient because it's been quite a ride for her to have to adjust to me, to a new country, to being a mother on a foreign field and all that stuff, a lot to take in. But praise the Lord for my wife. Okay. All right. We are going to open up the Word of God for the next little bit that we have. And this is another one of those days I've been going back and forth and back and forth on what to do. But I'm going to have you take your Bibles, please, to uh, some familiar passages, and I'm hopefully going to just draw out, renew some truths. So let's go to Acts chapter 1. And I... I do not intend to bore you. I do not intend to, pre to pretend as though you don't know these things. But I would like to draw your attention back to some of the basics, as this is a Sunday school lesson, some of the basics with regard to missions. I am often geared that way to just look at things 
the simple matters and then dive into the simple matters. That's what I do a lot of. And so again, I hope that this will be a real help and a blessing to you. Maybe put you in remembrance of a few things. All right. Well, let's pray before we get into the Bible now. And we'll change our gears from a testimony to the Word of God. Father, I sure am grateful and thankful for the church here, for the work that's been done here. It's a blessing to me to be able to see all that you've done over these 21 years. And I'm thankful to be able to come back and just renew conversation and renew fellowship and to have a kindred spirit. And God, I'm thankful also for the, the love, the support, the prayers, the care that's been shown for us as a family over these many years. I pray now that as we open up your Bible, I pray that you'd help us to have a good, clear understanding. Lord, it's not my intention today to try to teach something new, but to just put in remembrance. But maybe somebody today would learn something they'd not seen before. We'd be grateful for that too. Whatever you do today, help me to teach clearly, to not get sidetracked. Help me, God, to be able to just communicate the truth of the Bible to your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. There are, before we get to Acts 1 here, there are illustrations and statements in the Bible that uh, talk to us about the relationship between the, the, the churches, sending church, supporting churches, and the missionaries. Now, of course, the word missionary is not in the Bible, but we understand uh, what we're talking about. And so some of these phrases that refer to this relationship are, for instance, 3 John, verse number 7. It's called fellow helpers to the truth. And that was one of the things I was thinking about this morning, teaching on that, fellow helpers to the truth. So that's the relationship that you and I have and you and your other missionaries have. You are fellow helpers to the truth. It's very simple uh, in that passage showing us that those who are sent out to preach the name of Christ are received, cared for, and then sent on their way by other believers. And Gaius was the example there. Diotrephes was the antithesis to that. And Demetrius was another example to that. And so, fellow helpers of the truth, you becoming a helper to the truth of the gospel and the word of God going out, simply by caring for those who come through. And of course, you have a great reputation to that end. Another illustration that's given to us in Philippians, and Philippians is called the Handbook of Missions, or a Manual of Missions. But here in Philippians 1.5, he calls it the Fellowship of the Gospel. It's yet another illustration of two, two people partnering together. The people in Philippi having adopted Paul's understanding and view of world missions, of preaching the gospel around the globe, and that they, in adopting that, had become evangelistic in their own area, but had become a help to him. And of course, the Bible tells us that they had sent once and again unto his needs. And so they were in the fellowship of the gospel. Again, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, he refers to the relationship between the missionary and the church as striving together for the faith of the gospel. That is, that it's a labor, it's a strife, it's a battle that we're in, and we get together on that 
striving together for the faith of the gospel to be spread. And then another one, and we'll leave it at this, is Philippians 4 and verse 3. He refers to those who are also uh, preaching the gospel, and it's to the folks that are in Philippi, as true yoke fellow. True yoke fellow. And uh, that's not helpful at all when my phone starts sounding off on me, is it? Okay, that's what I get. So, true yoke fellow. Now, you could be a yoke fellow, but not a true yoke fellow. Uh, a yoke fellow is someone who's forced into the yoke. Or they put their neck into the yoke out of some sort of an obligation, but it's not really in their heart to do that. And I meet a lot of people that way. I meet churches that are that way. Missions is a program to them. It's not part of the fabric of the church. It's not who they are, what they are. They do it because that's what we do. We, we support missionaries. This is what we do. But that's not what missions was meant to be. A true yoke fellow says, I volunteer to put my neck in there and we're going to work together to see this go as far as we can. Whatever it takes. Sacrifice on both sides. We're working together. We're not going to fight with each other. We're not going to antagonize others. You know, we're not going to spend all of our time talking about why we're right and they're wrong. We're just going to go about the business that God gave to us of getting the gospel spread to the uttermost part of the earth. That's a true yoke fellow. And that's what Paul referred to them as. So that's the relationship that we have. You know, as missionaries, sometimes you end up in churches that don't have that mentality and you're still grateful for prayers. You're still grateful for the support, but there's not that kindred spirit. That's not the case here. There's a kindred spirit. There's always a, a, a love. As I said, we can walk in after 21 years and we feel like, hey, we're just picking up where we left off 21 years ago. We love one another, enjoy the fellowship, uh, hearty handshakes, uh, you know, pray for you every day. That's true yoke fellow. All right, so throughout the Word of God, there is illustrations and statements and phrases used to, to talk about this relationship that we have. Now, the work of missions is intended then to be a unified work. Uh, it's, it, we don't want it to be a program. And I know as many times we talk about our missions program, and I'm not being critical of that, but it really is much more than that. It's, it's why we exist as churches, as Christians. It's why we exist. This church exists to be evangelistic, to see people saved, train them to become part of the missionary movement around the globe and here. That's just, that's why we're here. There is no other purpose. I know the overarching purpose is the glory of God. I understand that. But there is really no other reason. We're not a social club. Uh, we're not, you know, we're not so much of what goes on. So it's a unified effort. And that means then, as individuals, that you have a specific purpose that God has saved you for that will contribute in being the true yoke fellow, one who's striving for the faith of the gospel, one who is a fellow helper to the truth, one who's in the fellowship of the gospel, and so forth. You have a specific purpose in this church to see that corporately the church can take part in what God's doing around the globe. And those who don't take part in that, and I'm assuming that I'm not talking to anybody like that today because you're in Sunday school, you care about what's going on, but those who don't take part of that, you're not only removing yourself from the very thing that God saved us to be a part of on this earth, but you're weakening what God is trying to achieve on this earth, okay? And I say you, not as a you accusatory, but just you, we, if I'm involved in that too. Now, you've probably heard this before, 
And uh, I did not, as far as I know, steal it from anybody. It's just the conclusion that I came to, and then I, after I started talking about it, I heard others say it as well. But there are basically three elements involved in the work of missions. And those three elements are going, giving, and praying. And where I fell down for a number of years was thinking that there's some who are the givers, some who are the goers. And then, you know, there would be some who would pray or maybe everybody would pray. That's kind of the, the fallacy that I had. But that's not the case. God's plan for every believer is to be a goer, a giver, and a prayer. That, because that's, what, that's what's involved in the work of missions, going, giving, and praying. And so I want to just very briefly touch on those things, and we might focus a little bit more on prayer today if I get to it. So here in Acts 1.8, the very common passage, but easiest to use, but ye, all of you, shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be, ye shall be, ye shall be. It's, a, it's, it's an imperative. You will be witnesses unto me. And Acts 1.8 is an incredible verse. There is so much preaching just around that one verse. You shall be witnesses unto me, and that means of me. That's what the whole reference there is about speaking of Christ. We're not witnesses of Baptist. All right, because be lost and go to hell as a Baptist, right? Uh, but a lot of churches are promoting their denomination. That is not what we're promoting. Uh, I think I'm safe in saying this here. It may get me in trouble. You never know. But um, I tell people when they come to our church, I, I say, listen, what you need to understand about me is I'm more Bible than Baptist, okay? And, and that that's how we operate our church, more Bible than Baptist. So whatever you think Baptist is, don't pin that on us. It may not be true, okay? Because I want to be Bible. So we're witnesses unto him, both, there's an interesting word, both, because it's followed by Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Well, when I was in school, that wasn't both, right? But it is, and that's the way the word is originally used in the English language, both, didn't matter how many you listed off, because it went beyond then just counting numbers it was about the action behind it. And the action behind it is that Kevin Beyer is meant to be a witness both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth at the same time. How in the world am I going to do that? Well, very simple. I am going to go where God told me to go, and I'm going to be a witness unto Christ where I'm at, and I'm going to become a fellow helper to the truth, or a true yoke fellow, or come into the fellowship of the gospel, you see, with someone who's in another place, and they're going to be a witness unto Jesus Christ there. We're going to be together in that, and then we're going to be together with yet another, and another, and another, and another, and we're going to try to reach the uttermost part of the earth by doing that. And we're going to do it at the same time. And so this whole thing about going in Acts 1.8 is this, that when, when, we came, when I came through 
and you de- we call it deputation. You deputized me to be one of your representatives in the field of the world called Australia. That at the same time, I am yoking myself to you that you're going to be a witness here. Because I can't be here, just like you can't be in Australia. Now, it's a two-way street. We're all responsible to do that. We trust one another to do that. Uh, You don't want to send money to a missionary and scratch your head and wonder, are they busy about declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's a waste of money if you've got to scratch your head over that. You want to be confident that they are testifying the gospel of the grace of God. But so do I. I want to be confident of that, of you too. And so this two-way street becomes a dual responsibility. I'm confident that you're a witness where you are. You're confident that I'm a witness where I am. And that's what brings us in together to have the right relationship as a missionary in church. And so everyone's responsible for that. Because, and again, you know, if, if you withdraw yourself from that, now sometimes, let me say this because it's important. There are sometimes that physical limitations keep that from happening. I, that's not what we're talking about. There are sometimes work limitations. Again, a man's got to take care of his family. I understand that. I'm not critical of that. We're talking about a voluntary removal of ourselves from the declaration of the gospel. And that's the stuff that we say, no, that's not on. We can't do that. Everybody's got to be involved in that. And even sometimes when it comes to health and work and all that, you may not be able to be a part of the normal times that things take place, but you can still be a witness. It's not that hard to carry gospel tracts. It's not that hard to give it to the clerk or the cashier or whoever, even though they go, oh, yeah, this again. So what? Just keep giving it to them. Act like you don't know that you've ever seen them before. You know, (laughs) that's what we do. (laughs) Like, oh, did I give you one before? Yeah, like I got a stack of them under here. Well, give them back. I'm going to hand them back out. You know, that kind of thing. But you can be a witness. And God expects us to be witnesses. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. And that's essential for missions to work. Um, I have said in quite a number of the churches that we visited, If you have expectations of me on the mission field that you don't fulfill here, that's called hypocrisy. Is that all right? Okay. And if I have expectations of you that I don't fulfill when I'm on the mission field, I'm a hypocrite. So going. We got to go. And of course, there's three ways of looking at that Acts 1 eight passage. There's those who go near, those who go further, and those who go far. And that's up to, really it's up to two things. One is either the specific call of God in your life or how you volunteer. You can volunteer. God's in the volunteer business. (laughs) He is willing for people to say, I want to go. And he'll say, okay, let's get you ready. You can go. I believe that. You look at the book of Acts. Let me just reinforce that with Bible. You look at the book of Acts, and most people who ended up working in the ministry in the book of Acts did not go to a church service and say, I am called to preach, or I am called to the mission field, or I am called to ministry. Most what you're going to find in the illustrations that we have in the Bible is either Peter or Paul coming alongside of somebody and saying, why don't you come with me? Just come with me. And the next thing you know, those are the people who ended up in ministry. Timothy is the best example of that. 
Acts chapter number 16, the conversation basically takes place like this. Who's that young man? I'm impressed with him. Oh, that's Timothy. His grandmother and mother got saved the first time you went through Lister and Derby there, and they led him to Christ. Is that so? Yeah, what's he like? Well, he's a good young man. He's solid. You know, he's just been a blessing in the church. I see. Can he be trusted? He can be trusted. Now, his father's a Greek. He's not saved, but no, it's okay. We can fix that up. <laughs> and uh, so he says, Timothy, why don't you come with me? And he did. And in Philippians, Paul said, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for you. Where did Timothy learn that? He didn't put his hand up and suddenly he's called to ministry. He was brought alongside of another minister who taught him how to do that as they went. And he learned the ministry by being in the ministry. And he's just a volunteer. He voluntarily went with Paul. Is that okay? Okay. All right. I mean, there's no way I'm going to get through this if I don't hurry up. If you're not going, you're weakening the work of missions. The second thing that we talked about is giving. And in the same way that everybody's responsible to go, we're all responsible to give because that's the way God's outlined it. The missionary hasn't relieved himself from giving to missions. The missionary hasn't relieved himself from having some financial responsibility in what's, what he's been called to do. That's the way it works. And so the, the, the giving is there not so that, you know, missionaries can live plush lives and all that, and hopefully that's not what's taking place, but rather the giving is there because it's just part of what God wanted to see the gospel go forward. And of course, we see that illustrated again in Philippi. That's why that book is such a missionary minded, hearted book, just constantly reinforcing the very things that we're trying to, to do ourselves. But when you look at, for instance, 2 Corinthians, and let me go through this quickly, but 2 Corinthians 8, why should we give? Well, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7 tells us, teaches us in part, that it's a matter of maturing. Our giving is a matter of maturing. Now, it's not specifically there for missions, although we use it, chapters 8 and 9 there, we use it for missions all the time. That's not specifically what it's for, not even in the, it's not the context, but the principle's there. And so giving becomes a matter of maturing. And then in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 8, it's also a proof of the sincerity of our love. So if I'm one who's got a bunch of vibrato and I'm talking about how much I love missions and missionaries, but I never give toward that, then again, I'm just a big, I'm sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. But Paul said, you know, prove the sincerity of your love. And give. Told us there in verse 7, you know, grow in this grace also. And then he says, it's prove the sincerity of your love. And then 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, it, it understands, it, it teaches that the believer who will give, and we're going to apply it now to the work of missions, the believer who will give is illustrating their understanding of the laws of sowing and reaping. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And so, you know, Proverbs chapter 11 talks about this. The one that withholds corn shall be cursed, but the one that scatters will see the increase, and so forth. And so, this, this whole idea of giving, again, in the Word of God as it pertains to missions, is, is something that he's not going to twist our arm to. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, he says, I want you to purpose it in your heart. I want you to look at the need of the gospel to get around the world. I want you to purpose in your heart you're going to give to that end to see that happen. And again, just like everybody needs to go, everybody needs to give. 
And it's this old, you know, I learned this when I was in, in business school. It's the idea of synergy, that the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. So, you know, if you put one horse in a yoke, it can plow so much. You put two in, it doesn't just double it. It increases it exponentially. You put three in, again, it doesn't triple. It increases even further exponentially. And that's the idea behind us collectively giving to missions is uh, my dollar doesn't just go one dollar's distance, it goes how God multiplies that to see much more take place as we bring this together. Does that make sense the way I said that? So giving is essential, and if you're not giving, and I, I, again, I say this, I really do mean it with compassion and charity, but if you're not giving to the work of missions and the work of the Lord, then you're hindering what God's trying to achieve on the earth in our time. And uh, I know in Australia, we've taken the policy that we support Australian-based missionaries because many of the churches there were supporting U.S. missionaries. And I thought this was crazy because all of our Australian missionaries are going, some of them half-supported and living that way for decades, half-supported on the field. So this is insanity. There's 140 Australian churches of the Independent Baptist or Bible Baptist stripe. 140. And we're trying to support these missionaries and we're going to give our money to American missionaries. We have thousands of churches to go to. And so I said as a church, we're not going to do that. We're going to support Australian-based missionaries and nationals trained by our Australian missionaries. And so by doing that, what I was teaching them is, look, you know, it, it's not that I don't care about the American missionaries, but we have to teach our Australian churches that this is, this is our business. We've got to take ownership of this thing and start giving some people in our churches some incentive to put their hand up and say they'll be missionaries. So they're not starving to death. I don't know how I got off on that. There we are. Sometimes I'm just, as we say over there, I'm just in the paddock, wandering around in the paddock. <laughs> All right, I got to finish up. I got three minutes. Let me, let me give you the third one because I actually think the third one's the most important. Going, giving, and praying. Everybody needs to pray. I want you to look, if you would, just very quickly at Romans chapter 15. I'm going to give you some other verses to write down with regard to prayer. Of the three, prayer might be the most difficult. And it's difficult because we find that we, we can become disconnected with the missionaries, if we're not purposely and intentionally keeping up with them, we get disconnected. For a lot of people, I don't know what to pray. I just don't know what to pray. And so we resort to God bless the missionaries. Now, I'm not accusing you because I don't know, but a lot of people resort to that. But that's not the way the Bible teaches us to pray. Yeah, let me give you an illustration. If... Um, if a man has a need on the mission field, he can talk about, uh, you know, that need financially and somebody can send some money and the need's met. But what, what happens when the missionary runs into opposition in the culture? And the culture's trying to force him out. Or the government's trying to force him out. No amount of money is going to pay to keep him there. The only way that they're going to be able to stay is through prayer. 
Prayer is what overcomes the oppositions, the difficulties. And when your missionaries come and they say, please pray for us, they're not kidding. Because if we were cut off financially, we'd make do. But if we're cut off from prayer, we're coming home. Not because we want to. There'll be no option for us. We need prayer. And in, in Romans 15 and verse number 30, this is the prayer, if you will, of a missionary saying, Now I beseech you. He's pleading with them. I beseech you, brethren, not for Paul's sake, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. And for the love of the Spirit. That's the two motivating factors of asking for prayer. For the sake of the Lord Jesus, why He died and why He sent us. And for love of the Spirit of God. Who, by the way, is given to be a testifier of Jesus Christ. That ye strive, 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 labor, work, push through, enter the battle together with me in your prayers to God for me. I'm praying, enter into this strife with me, and please pray for me. Here's point number one, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. You want to know how to pray for your missionary? Pray that they'll be delivered from unbelievers because there's plenty of them out there that'd like to see them go. Number two, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. Pray for deliverance, pray for acceptance among other believers. Because we do come into contact with other believers, and I'm telling you, there's sometimes that the believers that we come into contact with can be a real problem. And they don't necessarily welcome us. And then the third prayer point is this, verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. You know what he wanted to do? You pray that I'll be delivered and accepted so I can come home and report to you of how good God's been. And we can both be refreshed in that. I don't want to come home and tell you we got run off. I want to come home and tell you God heard your prayers and the gospel went out. Now there's other prayer points, but I'm out of time. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the example that we have in the Bible and I pray, if, if nothing else, we've just been stirred one more time with regard to our involvement in the work of missions. Thank you for letting us have a part of it. We sure don't deserve it, but we're grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen.